That's how Acts got started. So really, this is the model for how we ought to act as Christians. And so, what a wonderful privilege to be with such a great group of people who love the Lord and love each other. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, personally that Linda and I are very fond of you here. And where else can you go to a class where one day you'll be sitting in the row and the next day you'll be up teaching? <laughs> and so that's the danger. You don't, you know, be careful. Don't volunteer. Don't, ask, don't answer too many questions. But th th this is what can happen in, in a BLG like this. And I thought, I was thinking, how, what, how do I start the new year uh, with the BLG? How do we discuss things that matter to us before we get to the lesson? And I wanted to share a personal testimony. I don't tell you too much about my background, but I thought I would share this, this part because I think it will uh, uplift you and remind you that God, when you serve God, when you're faithful to God, he holds you in the palm of his hand. That not a hair of your head will fall. That even when you're in dire conditions and dire straits, when you don't know what the answer is, that God knows what you need. And God will take care of every single need that you have. And I'm going to give you a personal testimony about this. Because I was an eyewitness to it. And I told you that my uh, father pastored a small church of about 100 people, 125 people in New Jersey for 55 years. And uh, in our family, it was my mother, my father, my younger sister, 18 months younger than I am, and me. And all those years that my father pastored that church, he never once received a salary. He relied totally and completely on the offering plate. Just think about that. Now, I'm not telling you it was easy. And I'm not telling you we were rich people. I always thought we were middle class. It was only later when I looked back and reflected, and we weren't really middle class. But he never took a salary. He relied on the collection plate in a church of 100 people. Now, how did he live? They lived very simply. They lived in a house that they converted into a two-family house. They, they lived in four rooms on the first floor. A living room, a dining room, one bedroom, and a kitchen. That's where we lived. My parents slept in the dining room. My sister slept in the bedroom. And I slept in the kitchen until I was 18. And then I moved into the basement. <laughs> So, from this humble house, 
God gave them everything that they could possibly need or want and blessed them in every possible way. They never lacked for anything. He blessed them. I went to college. He blessed them. I went on to law school. He blessed my sister. She went on to college. We worked. We worked our way through these things. But they blessed us. They blessed us. She, she went on to have postgraduate degrees in counseling. She's also a successful church organist. They ble he blessed, blessed us musically. And my mother and father relied totally on the free will offering. Never lacked and stayed in that house until they were well into their 80s when the Lord called them home. And it was the desire of their heart that they could both be called home to the Lord while they were sleeping in their own beds in that house. And God honored that. Both of them. Both of them. So, when you see me here today and you say, you know where I live. You know where I live. Well, I'm giving you the other part of the story. The really important part of the story. You understand? The really important part of the story is that God richly blessed us, blessed me beyond anything that I had any, any responsibility for because of the faithfulness of a mother and father who served God. And so here is the lesson to you. Stay faithful. Serve the Lord. Be instant. Be solid in, day in and day out, despite the problems, despite the frailties, be, despite the persecution, because God will honor your faithfulness. He will honor it. And I will tell you something else. Not only will he honor it for you, he will honor it for your children. And he will honor it for your children's children. God is amazing. When he sees faithful people, what he does. And so, and I know that in this class, there's so many people hurting from so many different things. My heart aches for you. I understand. I know what's going on. I may not know your individual situations, but trust me, I know the hurt, the financial uh, uh, infirmities, the family relational issues, the health issues. I understand that, but I want you to know something. You be faithful with the Lord in your service to him, and God will be faithful to you. He will hold you in the palm of your hands, and not a hair of your head will fall. I want to give you that personal testimony because, like I said, I had a front row eyewitness seat to it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, I gave you this outline uh, uh, for Acts chapter 11, but before we start Acts chapter 11, I wanted to fi finish Acts chapter 10. Um, and... <clears throat> So when you turn, if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, I want to focus on Peter's sermon to Cornelius in the household. And I'm going to juxtapose today, I'm going to juxtapose Peter's sermon to the Gentiles to his earlier sermon to the Jewish leaders. And we're going to see how the same man, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
gives a message of salvation one way to the Gentiles and another way to the Jews. And I think this will inspire you because you will see how the Holy Spirit works, how the Holy Spirit looks at the audience and determine in ways what the needs are and how the words come out reflective of what the needs are. And you know, folks, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why you go to a church like this because you have a godly, spirit-filled man who's at the front, who prays about his sermons, and when he delivers a sermon, you know that the Holy Spirit is there and the words are inspired because it touches your heart. And I pray that when I speak, when I do these things, that God honors the words that I speak, that these words touch your heart through the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I'm just a messenger. It's not me. I may have studied it and prepared notes, but at the end of the day, it's not about studying. It's not about my notes because you know what? I could write up here on a blackboard and, and I can diagram historically all kinds of, of kingdoms and, and uh, dimensions, and you would say, boy, that grip is a smart guy, and yet the words would fall as flat on the floor in terms of your heart. But instead, my hope is that the Holy Spirit, through the words that I say, touches your heart. That you feel the presence of God in these words because God knows what you need. I don't. God knows what you need, and that's what this is about. And so here's Peter called to the home of Cornelius, the first Gentile who is now going to receive the gospel. Peter, who basically was dragged kicking and screaming, Three times the vision came down. Three times he said, I do not do this. I don't eat unclean foods. And God pounded him, pounded him, pounded him until finally he got it. And now he travels the 33 miles. And now he comes into the household of Cornelius. And Cornelius tells him about the vision that he had. And now, that he had. And now Peter is going to deliver through the Holy Spirit the first effective evangelical message to the Gentile world. All right? Now, if you would, turn to verse 34 in Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Wow. Wow. This is a completely different message. I thought the people of Israel were the chosen people. The Jews were the chosen people. Certainly God had played some favoritism there. Well, now he understands. There's no favorites any longer. The Jewish people now, God has moved from them as the chosen people in terms of being the sole messenger of the gospel, now moving into the Gentile world. And Peter, a Jew's Jew, a Jew of the first order, is now delivering that message. Knowing that God accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Meaning their salvation is not brought about by their works, the salvation, the message of Jesus Christ was not delivered to Cornelius because he was a moral man. We, we talked about this. Moral men need salvation. Cornelius is a pious man. 
You may have neighbors and friends who, when you go to talk to them about the Lord, they'll say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I work hard. I treat people with dignity. Everybody likes me. I really, I don't feel like I need this. I'm not a sinner. You've heard this. Well, that's a person that goes to the top priority of, a per, of, of need. I told you that I teach a, a Bible study in Port Royal, that I felt that God called me to do that. And I told you that in four years, teaching it every week, that only one person from Port Royal came. Somebody said a, pro a prophet has no honor in his home country. <laughs> it's true. You know, but that's the nature of what you get when you're in Port Royal. You get people that have reached the top of the economic world. They're full of themselves. They've got, gotten all kinds of success. People bow down to them and, 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 and consider them as, you know, tremendous success in the world. You know, th those people... It's harder to get the gospel to somebody like that than it is to go to Africa and to preach it to somebody in Africa. It's harder. It's harder. Believe me, I saw it first, firsthand. I saw it. Uh, you know, and, and I've been out at the, at the Port Royal Club with 12 people at dinner, and I will say I'll invite, like to invite you all to my house, and it's like, ooh, God, get this guy out of here. You could just hear the muscles tighten up. You could just feel it, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, do we have to see somebody like this here? You know? Yes, they do have to see somebody like this here because they need to be reminded. They need to be reminded. But that's the point. That's the point. But this moral man, this Cornelius was different. This was a moral man who knew, I, yes, I'm I, I pious, I serve the God, but I am a sinner, and I need Jesus. And so Peter comes, he delivers this message, and so he says the reason... God honors the fact of your righteousness. Because of your righteousness, I am here. I am here because of that. Then he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Lord, Lord of all. You know. In other words, you've heard this, Cornelius. You've been around these parts for a few years. You know what's going on. You know, you know that the people of Israel have heard about this. That Jesus was sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Peace. The first message to the Gentile world. Peace. Jesus brings peace peace. Well, you know what? You say to yourself, well, wait a minute, Brother John. This, this seems to be a, a, a failure. Peace. In this world, peace. There's no peace in this world. Just turn on the news. There's no peace. There's no peace here. This, this, this kingdom is going to be divided shortly. There's going to be all kinds of, of insurrections and battles and destructions. The temple is going to be pulled down and destroyed. There's no peace in the world, but the thing is that the peace, the peace that Peter talks about, is the peace that Jesus delivers to you in your heart. So that you can be in your heart when you have Jesus. You can be in turmoil. You can be in sickness. 
You can be part of, of difficult situations, and yet you know, just like I told you in the beginning, that Jesus holds you in the palm of your hand. You don't need me to tell you that because it's the peace in your heart through Jesus. That's the peace that Peter was speaking to in Cornelius. And someday, someday there will be peace in the entire world. When Jesus comes back, then, then there will be peace. There will be, but not now. The peace that God is going to deliver to us now is in our hearts. And so it goes on to say, and of course, Jesus is Lord of all. In that same verse, Lord of all. Make no mistake about it, Cornelius. Jesus is God. And then he continues, You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because... God was with him. In other, in other words, Gentile world, open your eyes. Jesus had the power to raise people from the dead through God. Jesus had the power to cure paralyzed people through the Lord. Jesus had the power to change all types of afflicted people in thousands of ways that the Bible doesn't tell us why because he was the Son of God. That's why the miracles were there, Gentile world, for you to open your eyes and to see the power that God invested in his Son, Jesus. And how he went around doing good and healing those that were under the power of the devil. Why? Because the world, the world is under the current dominion of Satan. He continues in verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We are witnesses. You know, if you want to be effective in your work for Jesus, if you want to be an effective evangelist, if you want to bring people to the Lord, if you want to go out and impact the world, impact your family, impact your relatives, impact your neighbor. You know what you need to be? You need to be a witness. You need to be a witness. Because you see, when Peter spoke, Peter says, I am a witness. And the only way you get to be a witness is that you have accepted Jesus so deeply in your heart. You're so sanctified through the Holy Spirit that you have it inside of you. And when somebody looks at you, when somebody sees your life, when they look at the fruit of how you're living, okay, you don't have to say, I'm a born-again Christian. You don't have to use those words. You know why? I see the fruit in your life. I see it. And you know what? When I see the fruit in your life like that, you know what I say? I want to be that guy's friend. I want to be that woman's friend. There's something different. You've heard it. There's something different about that person. There's something different about the way that lady went through that sickness. There's something different about the way those people face death. There's something different about how they go to funerals. There's something different. Yeah, there's something different. They are witnesses. And that's what you want to be. That's what Peter is saying here. Cornelius, my brother, I am a witness. 
I've seen everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then he continues. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. He's referring to the Jews now. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Cornelius, this is no typical message you're going to hear from me. You're never going to hear another message like this if you live to be a thousand. I saw Jesus. I saw him be hung on the tree. I saw them murder him, take his life, and then I saw him rise again three days later. The message, first message to the Gentile world, the first message. He was not seen, verse 41, by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Cornelius, not only did we see him, we exchanged the most intimate of acts that you can with somebody in the Jewish world. We ate with him. We ate with him and we drank with him. And you know, Cornelius, that they sealed that tomb up with a giant rock. And they put 12 or 14 soldiers outside it, centurions of the first guard. And they guarded it. And yet, despite all of that, they can't find Jesus' body because he was resurrected and he walks and he's alive. And it continues. He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Forgiveness of sin through his name plus nothing else. Not works, Cornelius. Not your piousness, Cornelius. Not your gifts to charity, Cornelius. Not the fact that you're a moral man, Cornelius. Forgiveness of sin totally through the forgiveness of the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is the first sermon to the Gentile world. And what he's also saying here, he's not given an, uh, a, a complete Old Testament review. He's not doing that. You're going to see the difference when he speaks to the Jews. He just says that all the prophets, all the prophets, speak to him, speak about him. While Peter was speaking the wor these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Folks, is there any, any doubt why the Holy Spirit came? This simple sermon that I've just delivered to you, think about it, is earth-shaking. You have now heard that there is a person who came to this world as a God, who made himself a man, who had the power to forgive their sins, totally relying on his name, without regard to who you were. You heard now that it doesn't matter what country you came from. It doesn't matter what your racial background came from. God plays no favorites. He doesn't accept favorites anymore. We're all the same. Worldwide, Gentiles, Jews, worldwide, one church, 
under Jesus Christ worldwide. Now that message is delivered, and what happens? The Holy Spirit descends. The Holy Spirit descends. And the Jewish believers who he brought with him to be witnesses are sitting there in astonishment. Their mouths are agape. They cannot believe what they are witnessing because what they are witnessing is Acts chapter 2 all over again. They're witnessing tongues descending with the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Gentiles, just like the Jews got it in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. No difference, the same. Well, you could see the impact of the Holy Spirit. You could see how if you were sitting that day in Cornelius' house, how you would have, your heart would have glowed when you heard this message. And how with the dissension of the Holy Spirit, entire, in that, which that entire household was saved and brought to the Lord Jesus on that day. And so now, what I want to do is I want to juxtapose that sermon with a sermon he gives a little earlier to the Jewish community. And if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. This is after they healed the cripple. <clears throat> they healed the cripple. And the Jewish leaders are astonished at how they could heal a cripple. Under what authority did this happen? How did this happen? We are astonished. Who gave you the authority? How did you do this? Who, who, what, how? You could just see them. They must have been stammering. How did this happen? Who's responsible? And so now Peter and John are there. And now Peter delivers effectively the message to the Jewish world. It's a little different. All right? If you turn to verse 12 in Acts chapter 3. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we, made, we had made this man walk the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Okay, first difference. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have glorified him. All right? He's a Jew. He's one of you. He's one of us. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is honoring their service. And now his servant that has been written about in the Old Testament through your prophets... Now he's here in the flesh. It's a very different sermon. He says, goes on, it goes on to say, you handed him. You just imagine if you were there listening to this. You handed him over to be killed. Can you imagine if you sat down with Peter beforehand and said, can I see what you're going to say? You got some notes? I want you to be, I want you to be very effective in this presentation today. You know, there's, there's a lot of important Jews here. What are you going to say? You handed him over to be killed? What are you, nuts? You're going to say that? But you understand, do you see what happens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? You see what happens? The Holy Spirit indicts. 
it, it brings apart what the sin is. It puts the light of righteousness on the sin. It illuminates it. Yes, Ed. John, that very reaction, we saw that not a few years ago with Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ. Mm. They were all just up in arms. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, and we, we know, look, we know that it wasn't just the Jews that crucified Jesus. We know that the Romans were fully complicit. They actually were there and had the political power. But we also know that we all put Jesus on the cross, right? All right, let's understand that. We all put Jesus on the cross. We're all sinners, and Jesus went to the cross willingly for us. But we cannot deny the fact that historically, at that point in time, the Jews certainly had a primary role in this. And so you say to me, Brother John, but, but why, is Peter, why is Peter saying it like this? He's doing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nobody would speak like this. If I sat down and I was going to try to impress you and have you be my friend and convince you, you think I'd write this? I wouldn't do this. You'd have to be nuts. But the Holy Spirit... Obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired and said there needs to be an indictment. People need to understand what repentance is about. And that's what it's about because sometimes the message of God cuts like a sword. It cuts. And sometimes we hear things that we don't like to hear. You know? It's not all about Jesus loves you, he's going to give you a big house. You know? You can find those guys on TV. He wants you to have a nice bank account. You can find those guys on TV. You think he'd be on TV? You think he'd be on TV? I don't think he'd be on TV. I don't think he'd be on TV. It gets, it gets worse. <laughs> you disowned him before Pilate. Though Pilate decided to let him go. You could have let him go. Pilate wanted to let him go. He wanted to let him go, but you said no. You said no. You weren't going to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Imagine that. You gave up Jesus in exchange for a murderer. Just think about what the Holy Spirit is doing here. A very different sermon. The same man, the same man, same period of time. You, verse 13, killed the author of life. Oh my God. What are you saying? I'm saying you killed the creator. You killed God, the righteous one. That's what you did. But God raised him from the dead. And don't think that they didn't hear the rumors. And don't think that they didn't know that the body of Jesus was not found. And don't think that they didn't hear that there were hundreds of people that saw Jesus walking around. Don't think, of, don't think that. They heard it. They heard it every day because they saw this Christian church growing and growing. And don't think that didn't gnaw at them and gnaw at them and gnaw at them. Don't think that. We are witnesses of this. Again, do you see? 
Do you see the effective evangelical position? We are witnesses. I'm telling you something, Jewish leaders, that I saw. I was a first-hand witness. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. You want to know why? This guy who was paralyzed for his entire life can now walk? It's because of the name of Jesus and the faith in the name of Jesus. Now, now he, he softens the message. And he appeals to them to reflect really humbly on what they did in verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. You didn't know what you were doing. You didn't really fully understand what you were doing. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Brothers, you didn't even realize yourself. You were just actors on a stage that God had set up. And Jesus suffered at your hands, but God had before ordained that that took place. The scriptures, your prophets, your testament are full of this. Repent, and there it is. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, and here it is, if you're a Jew, you're giving me the ace card. Moses said, Moses said, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise you up for a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Oh my, Moses said that? Yeah, Moses said that. Indeed, all the prophets, verse 24, from Samuel on, and as many, have, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Folks, you are heirs. You are the heir of the promise. This is your people, your prophets. Jesus is a Jew. This is your testament. This is your gift that God has given to your people. As he promised them. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's the end of the sermon as we have it. We don't see any descent of the Holy Spirit. We don't see any mass evangelical move. But I will submit to you folks that there were people that were there that day who turned to God. They may not have turned to God that day, 
They may not have turned to God that next week, but I submit to you folks that there are people that were there that heard this Holy Spirit-inspired message that cut like a sword, that turned to God. Because one of the things that we know, that the early church had a lot of priests, Jewish priests that had become converts. We know that. That's a fact. We'll study that. and We'll see the reason about that. But the point of this is, I wanted you to see how the Holy Spirit, through the same man, through the same man at the same time, delivers two messages to two audiences about the salvation of Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, the messages are different. They're different. They're different. And there's a lesson for you in that. And the lesson for you is that we don't present the gospel the same way necessarily to everybody. And we pray about it, and we ask God through the Holy Spirit to give us the discernment of how to speak to people, how to touch their hearts, how we need to do it. <clears throat> I would say this. Um, our dear brother, Alan Goldberg, used to say to me, Brother John, I was persecuted unbelievably when I was a Jew. And when I became a Christian, I was persecuted even more. He told me that. He told me that. So I would say that we want to be able to deliver the gospel to our Jewish friends, to the Jewish world. I, had a, I have a friend of mine, uh, a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> Um, who said to me, you know, John, he says, you know what bothers me about you Christians? What bothers, and he's a devout Jew. He goes, what bothers me is you always say or infer that you have a better religion. You have a better religion. He says, I find that offensive. I find that offensive. I said, Ira, no, Ira, we don't have a better religion but it's our religion that completes your faith. Our religion, through Jesus Christ, completes Judaism. Your faith, your, your religion, takes it up to the next to the last chapter. But the next to the last chapter isn't the end of the story. Our faith writes the last chapter. And let me tell you something else. There's going to be a postscript after that last chapter. And you want to make sure you've straightened up. Because when he comes back the next time, he's not coming back as the baby in the manger. Amen? Amen. He's not coming back as the baby in the manger. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. And there's going to be a day of reckoning for this world. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. And so you see here the message of God to the Gentile world as contrasted to the Jewish world. And through the Holy Spirit, I, I think you need to re reflect and pray on this uh, this week as, as, to, as to how the Holy Spirit is so discerning that it understood the nature of the audiences. And I will say something like this to you also. You know, when you have a, a speaker who's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who's speaking to you, 
he does not know. He may not know your personal issues, what you're personally going through. But if it's a Holy Spirit-inspired message, the Holy Spirit is going to come into your heart and give you exactly what you need. You're going to leave and go, I don't believe that guy was able to... How did he... Who told him? How did he know? My father used to tell me that people would come to him afterwards and be a little annoyed at him and said, Who told you? <laughs> who told you that I was going through this issue? Somebody, I'm, I'm deeply offended. And my father would say, Brother, nobody told me. Nobody told me. It's the Holy Spirit. And you have to take it like that. It's the Holy Spirit that deals with your hearts and deals with these conditions. And so I, I wanted you to see the impact of the Holy Spirit-inspired sermons. And I hope you'll reflect on that. We're going to close in prayer, all right, because it's, you've heard a lot for a Sunday morning. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for this wonderful group of people that come together, love you, God, and love the Word. I ask you to bless them, Heavenly Father, to bless them and their families, especially in this coming week and in this new year. Give them the sincerest desires of their heart, Lord. And also, I ask you, Lord, that the word that we have heard this morning, that we continue to ponder it in our heart, that it grows, Lord, that we put it into action. Because at the end of the day, Lord, what we want to do, what we want to be, is we want to serve you better every day of our lives, Heavenly Father. We put all of these requests in thy son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, amen everybody. Have a great week.